Morning. Um, it is great to be here. I've uh, flown across from Burundi. Who, who's heard me speak before? I think it's probably minimal. Oh, fair few, because I'm not a vineyarder, as it were. I mean, I've talked in vineyards in Canada and, and uh, South African place, but I'm not a vineyarder. I'm not a true blood, if you like, but I am, I am saved. Um, who, who here is not vineyard? Great. Bring it on. Who here is not from Cardiff? All right, it's just very interesting, isn't it? Well done for coming. Anyone come further than Burundi? <laughs> Maybe America, I'm not sure. Yeah, it probably is, Minnesota. 6,000 miles for me. Um, I don't, guys, I don't know how, how you are this morning. Um, let's stick some pictures up just for introduction so that you know where I'm coming from. Because uh, I'm obviously coming from a different context. And, um, so that's where I live. That's where I've lived pretty much for 18 years now, with a few breaks for babies in Southampton and a couple of years in the States. But uh, next one. So my wife and three kids are in Bujumbura right now, and that's about the size of Wales, so you know, literally that's a similar size, about five hours, top to down, side to side, 10,000, 10 and a half million people, and uh, depending on the agriculture, so how can you do that in the size of Wales to get 10 and a half million people? It's impossible, isn't it? That's why about seven million of them are starving to death right now. So I'm coming from the poorest country in the world, the hungriest country in the world, the, the, the country with the highest rate of malnutrition, and the most miserable country in the world. So I know Jesus would want his people anywhere, but I really, really know he wants people in Burundi. And yet very few people are in Burundi, and people are trying to flee Burundi. And so it's been a pretty uh, rough ride, particularly recently. Next one. So this is what happened in 2015, uh, uh, when the president decided to stand for a third term, uh, sort of debated whether that was constitutionally allowed. And, you know, these are a few hundred yards up, up the street from us. Next one, uh, people tried to overthrow the regime. It didn't work. So a bit like Turkey. If a coup fails, then it's just an op opportunity to royally destroy the opposition. Next one. So these guys would probably be dead now just by dint of their photos being on the internet. And, uh, and uh, it has become a very difficult place. Next one. And again. And... Uh, yeah, so I think, you know, that's one of the reasons I'm here. So, um, you know, Mark and his group had done that thing. My, basically, my, my, my DNA, if you like, somewhat different from uh, you guys as a stream, but I think, oh, that's the kingdom, isn't it? We complement each other. But my, my DNA is that Jesus didn't die on the cross for us to be nice people in Cardiff, wherever we've come from. He died that all of us, you know, how far is too far when he went that far? And so, you know, I'll, I'll be bringing a lot of challenge this morning, which I hope, you know, you'll hear that it's from a place of love. It's really not coming from a place of, I'm doing it, you're not, you losers. You know, <laughs> that's, that's, that's not my heart at all. You know, level ground at the foot of the cross. I'm speaking down to you just because I'm on this platform, but, you know, I'm a fickle duffer just giving it my best shot. And I've got plenty of issues in my own life. Next one. So you can grab that afterwards, and that's, you know, if you want a daily shot in the arm, in terms of radical, radical discipleship, uh, I would grab that. And... Uh, it was voted devotion of the year, so it can't be rubbish. Uh, next one. That's our charity. Next one. Great Lakes Outreach. And that's my family, so that's my crew. And, uh, yeah, so I went out as a single nutter, totally expected to die. People tried to kill me. People I care about were killed. Uh, 25 when I went out there. It's a very good place. You know, it's very... Well, I'll talk more about that as we go into it. But it's, if you're expecting to die next week, it's a very healthy way to live, you know, because you're, you're not going to waste your life. And I've learned lots of lessons out there. But anyway, I got, found a lady to share the journey. And then three kids have come, and that's enough. Thank you very much. And uh, next one. 
So my daughter is named after this girl. I've told this story gazillions of times. I'll tell it again Sunday, you know, tomorrow morning to the church because it's too beautiful to miss out for you guys to miss out on. But uh, in 1996, I held that little daughter, that little girl in my arms, little realizing that uh, next one, that's what she's become, and that she's become next one, our babysitter. And, um, and she started her life down a toilet. So her mother obviously must be going through something horrific because she literally gave birth and dumped this fetus down a toilet. And the reason she didn't drown was that her neck was caught in the U-bend of the toilet. And, and someone's about to go to the loo and they saw her and they fished her out and got poo on themselves in the process and they, they cleaned her off and fed her through a, a pep tube like a little bird. She's weighing just a few pounds. And now she's a beautiful young lady. And uh, my friend who adopted her gave her the name, which is my favorite name, which when I married Lizzie, I said, if the Lord ever blesses us with a daughter, I want her to give her the same name after this girl, which is why it's so lovely that 18 years later, she's our babysitter in God's economy. So that little, little one is named after big one, and her name is Grace. She's just the best name, isn't it? Because I hope that's your story. That's my story. You know, whether we're marching, made, murdering rapists, pillaging idiots in Central Africa or very self-absorbed, Welsh or English or Northern Irish, wherever you've come from today, you know. He's picked us out on the toilet. He's taken the poo on himself. He's, he's, and we, you know, religion's trying to get out of the pit yourself. You can't get out of the pit yourself, but God reaches down, it, God, you know, the incarnation. And he says, you are beautiful. You're made in my image. Now, come on. Live for me. Beautiful. Next one. And, uh, you know, if you want a picture of what uh, malnutrition is like, I was at this hospital just last week. And that is like my little Canadian buddy's well, you know, daughter, Alma. She's four years old. The girl whose hand she's holding is also four years old. That's mind-blowing, isn't it? Half the size. And these are not statistics. These are people. These are God's precious children. And there's a whole lot of grimness going down. Next one. Um, I'll tell you what, we'll stop there. There's more. Maybe Sunday morning I'll show some more. But there's, there's two. There's great st- Lots of great stories. Um, but uh, I want to look at uh, radical discipleship in this session we got together. And radical, just, you know, radix in Latin is, is getting to the roots, getting to, you know, what is an authentic, when Jesus was making disciples, what was he trying to do? And I think we should aspire to that. We can learn from the early church and that sort of stuff. But as I stand before you, and, and uh, in 2 Corinthians 12, you know, Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh, and then he says that Jesus said to him, my, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that power may rest on me. And I'm, I'm claiming that this morning. I'm going to boast about my weaknesses so that hopefully God's power will rest on me and will move among us. Okay, because, you know, as I was coming here this weekend, I was thinking, you know, they're going to want a whole load of glory stories, and I've got plenty of those. And, uh, but I can't fake it, you know. I really aspire to live out an authentic life. And, and I know this will resonate with plenty of you, but it's sometimes a deleted, you know, expleted, deleted life, isn't it? It's sometimes very tough following Jesus. And so I'll base my weaknesses right now and say that I'm dry, struggling. I haven't lost the passion. The passion is still there. This basic, you know, Jesus is worth everything. So inconsistent to give him bits. He's worth everything. Um, but, you know, I've had the stuffing knocked out of me. We know our country, as a nation, we've gone about 15 years. I've got, my mates are starving to death. 
last week, a friend of mine's wife was raped. He was beaten up. The money I'd given him was taken. You know, so if, if, if I was to be happy and life's all hunky-dory, I'd be screwed up the insensitive, wouldn't I? So, you know, I'm going to boast in my brokenness so that hopefully you can get more out of this session. And please don't put me on a pedestal or any speaker ever because it's so utterly unhelpful. Level ground for the cross, amen? So, um, wherever I go, I say, I'd love you to pray for us, you know. I think maybe that's why I'm still alive. I thought, I thought I'd die years ago. I really thought I'd die before the age of 30. So I'm 44 now, still going strong-ish. Um, and... Um, but if you want to pray for us and get some stunning stories of God at work in a very dark place, and there's a sheet, do you want to grab it there? Sheet there, sheet there. Just, just pass it along. Don't sign up if you're not interested, but you know, that's the benefit I get in speaking in places. Just say, please pray. And then you know, the Lord is so honoring to that in the midst of challenging times. So just sign up or pass it along, no worries. Right, so let's go. And by the way, if you sign up, also there's a thing, so you've got the notes. I, I love quotes. I'm really wired for that. You'll see that in 365. You know, there's like juicy quotes and... And I'll send all those to you if you want them. So, let's go. Radical discipleship. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is one of my heroes. And he said, when Christ calls a man, woman, he bids them come and die. So that's your invitation this morning. Hey, I've come in a conference. I'm invited to die. I think we need more conferences like that. And Jesus, you know, he was a revolutionary, he's a radical, he's a shaker. So if I'm to be consistent in relaying his message, it should be revolutionary, radical, shaking. You know, to buy into it means that, like him, we'll be sometimes liked and sometimes vilified and slandered and misunderstood and abused. But the reality is, and that's what I've been praying for us this weekend, is that, you know, there'll be a whole number of people that will truly buy into it. Maybe for the first time or They'll get a renewed shot on the arm to say, yeah, this is worth my all. And it will, we'll, leave, we'll leave changed. And God help us that it's not just another conference. I think of this single-minded young communist. He said, there's one thing about which I'm earnest, the commu- dead in earnest, the communist cause. It's my life, my business, my religion, my hobby, my wife, my mistress, my, mistress, my bread and my meat. What unbelievable conviction. Actually, totally screwed up the imbalance. And Jesus doesn't ask us to say, he's my bread, my business, my, my mistress, my meat. You know, but, but, but there's something in the, 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 the zeal and engagement and commitment there that is challenging and inspiring. And there's something in the very screwed upness of the tens of thousands, the hundreds, the millions of screwed up, twisted Islamists that will lay down their life for a, a, a demonic cause thinking that in bombing people, they're going to go straight to heaven with their virgins and that sort of stuff. And my sort of observations are very few Christians have got that kind of level of passion, but we're called to that level of passion without being blinkered and, and uh, nut jobs. But, you know, he, that's, that's what, that's what I, I'd love to be part of here. And if we bought into this next 40, 40 minutes, then Cardiff, there is no doubt, Wales, there is no doubt we'll be nuked by Jesus in the coming days. That's the potential, isn't it? Bring it on. So I've made various assumptions in you coming, which I'm not sure they are right, but you please give me a name and if you agree with them. The first one is that you want to be challenged. So we'll pray with the psalmist, Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, where he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I want to be challenged. Second assumption is that you recognize you've got a long way to go. Amen? 
So, you know, Philippians 3, 12 to 14, not that I have already obtained all this or, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. We're on a journey. We're not the finished article. Next assumption is that you're dissatisfied with how you're living your life. Amen? Now, that's not to say that God's not using us. He's using me, but I'm totally dissatisfied. I want to see more, you know. I want to see... I've seen hundreds of thousands of people come to Jesus. I want to see more than that. I, you know, I want to see more people healed, more people, demons cast out, more lives, more marriages reconciled. And I want to see my personal, my sister, her husband, you know, who I've been praying for 20 years to come to faith. You know, I want to see more. So we're dissatisfied. We want to see more of the kingdom come. Next, next assumption is that you, you do believe that God's word is our authority. Amen? So you, we know those verses, don't we? Two, Timothy 3, 16, 17, all authority, all scriptures, God breathed, and it's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. So, to, you know, let's get that this morning. We've been teach, taught, corrected, rebuked, and trained in righteousness. Why? So that man, woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so if, you know, God's word is our absolute truth, the bottom line, then, you know, sometimes the truth hurts, doesn't it? So we're, another assumption is that you're prepared to be offended. If, if, if we need to be offended out of our comfort zone, out of our, perhaps a realization that we've had a diluted gospel, a, ta- a, same, tafer, a tame, safer, respectable consumer Jesus that comes out of a consumer culture when we're taught to, taught to be completely countercultural. So that's, that's an assumption I hope as well, is that you don't want to settle for consumer Christianity, diluted gospel, lowering of the bar, twisting of the truth that offers all blessing at no cost. And many teachers promote that because it satisfies what itching ears want to hear. That's 2 Timothy 4.3. So those are my assumptions as, as we get into the, into the, the meat, if you like. And, uh, you know, so why did I go out there? You know, I was on that conveyor belt of success and wealth. I went to a top school and a good university and... And then I was in a good job, and, uh, but I prayed this prayer that, that we'll pray today. Let's pray it. I pray it once a week, pretty much, not legalistically, but, you know, just because we've got to keep in step with the Spirit. And because I was in the right place last week in Burundi doesn't mean I'm still meant to be there, that sort of thing. But my prayer that took me out there was that, God, I will do anything. I will go anywhere. That was the prayer. I will do anything. I'll go anywhere. I said, I don't want security because security is a mixed blessing, isn't it? Because when we're secure in of ourselves, we don't need God. Amen? Mm. That was a lame amen, people. Amen. That's a challenge, isn't it? We want security, but when we've got security, we don't need to trust in God. So I said, no, bring it on, 24. No string, no girlfriend. You can do anything with me on the planet. I'm not going to bargain with you. I'm just going to trust you. And uh, in this good job, this bloke tracked me down. Never met him before. Didn't know who he was in Bishopsgate in London, the city. And he said, I believe God sent me to you. I wants to go to Burundi. Involved in youth and mission evangelism, my heart's thumping in my chest, saying, God, is this what you've kept me for? And I said to him, all right, thanks, weirdo, I'll think about it. I'll be spiritual, I'll pray about it. Went back to my job in front of the computer. So right now, God, if you want me to go through this whole, whole war zone, it was the most dangerous country in the world at the time, which I only know because my mum, when I got out there, sent me through a cutting from a newspaper article. So thanks for the encouragement, mum. Um, <laughs> And uh, so, Lord, if you want me to go, that means leaving family, friends, security, career, dosh, going to a place where I might get killed. And I've told you people have tried to kill me. So give me a radical sign right now to justify such a radical change of career. Specific prayer, isn't it? Sometimes I think more than bless me prayers, you know, we need to pray specific prayers. So, Lord, right now, if you want me to go, give me a sign about Burundi. Phone rings, pick up the phone, voice on the other end, out the blue, said, you know anyone who wants to work in Burundi? And that was 18 years ago. 
and no looking back, or if there's looking back, it's in praise, because God has done immeasurably more than all I could ask or imagine. Ephesians 3.18-ish. That's the God we serve, people. And it's not about the numbers going, but I've probably had the chance to see a few hundred thousand people come to faith. It has been amazing. It's about being obedient to the call. So I don't want to overemphasize the wacky answer prayer. I do want to emphasize the prayer. That's the point, isn't it? God can speak any which way he wants. Don't come up to me after and say, I haven't had a phone call from God. It's not about the phone call from God. It's about surrender. Oswald Chambers says this, is God going to help himself to me or am I so taken up with what I want to make of my life? That's, that's such a 2017 question. It's all about, it's all about me. You know, I remember once at church, I just letting you rip with the lyrics wrong. And all this is for me, for my glory. You know, is God going to help himself to me, or am I so taken up with what I want to make of my life? And this is all intro, really, but last building block before we get into the meat proper is, is that I want to quote Mark Green, who said that he talks about this thing of full-time and Christians, that sort of thing. He says, all Christians are born equal, but full-time Christians are born more equal than others. That's a misperception, isn't it? He says, in turn, there's an unspoken hierarchy that goes something like this in the church. Pastor, overseas missionary, full-time Christian worker, tent maker, so long as it's abroad, Elder, deacon, poor Christian, Christian, rich Christian. <laughs> and he says, no, you're, you know, let's refute that. He says, all vocations are equal, and so-called secular work is a vocation. So many of our Bible heroes were, in fact, you know, regular, normal workers, like the Israelite midwives who, you know, struggling for biblical uh, medical ethics, boldly defied Pharaoh's command to kill the male Israelite babies, or Joseph the chancellor, or Daniel the imperial advisor, or Nehemiah the security agent, whatever. You see, the problem of, the result of, of robbing the workplace of being considered spiritual is guilt. And you might come back from a 55-hour working week, completely knackered, but in, you haven't done any evangelism, so you feel you've got to sign up for another thing. But actually, if you see that whole 55 hours as, you know, I'm there in Jesus' name doing kingdom work, then because it's holy, then we're going to live better lives. Amen? Yes. So, right, let's go for it. Radical living means dot, dot, dot. First of all, radical living means radical dying. So I quoted Bonhoeffer at the start, you know, when Christ calls a man, a woman, he bids them come and die. Well, why would I listen to him? I'm, I listened to him because he died for Jesus, because he left the cushiness of America in exile to come back into Germany to engage, to try to overthrow Hitler, and he died for his faith. And people who are willing to make that commitment and act it out are worth listening to, aren't they? If you haven't found something worth dying for, you haven't found something worth living for. Colossians 3, 1 to 4, you know, since then we have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthy things, for you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Romans 6, 3 to 11, I'm not going to read it, but there's like 15 deaths in there, you know. And, uh, you know, it, it, Dying to self. And yet, if you look at two, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, Martin Luther commenting on that, where it talks about how we're freed from the, the fear of death. He says, he who fears death or is unwilling to die is not a Christian to a sufficient degree. For those who fear death still lack faith in the resurrection, since they love this life more than the life that is to come. He who does not die willingly should not be called a Christian. 
John Chrysostom, you know, final sermon, love it, you know, made his words count. This is his exile, and he, he died far from home. This is in 407 AD. He said, the waters are raging and the winds are blowing, but I have no fear, for I stand firmly upon the rock. What am I to fear? Is it death? Life to me means Christ, and death is gain. Is it exile? The earth and everything it holds belongs to the Lord. Is it loss of property? I brought nothing into this world. I will bring nothing out of it. I have only contempt for the world and its ways, and I scorn its honors. Come on. You know, we want to change Wales. We've got to subscribe to this. If we're going to get excited about the new carpet fitting and the extension of the house, overly excited, they're all right, those things. But let's get more excited about Jesus. Got to buy into this. Tertullian, in his great apology for the Christian faith, he challenged the Roman authorities, kill us, torture us, condemn us, grind us to dust. The more you mow us down, the more we grow, for the seed of the church is the blood of the martyrs. Love it. And I've had the chance to experience this because I've gone along a road and 40 people were killed and I got through and, uh, you know, yes, does that make me any better? No, by God's sovereign grace, you know, I'm still around, but, uh, you know, what did Paul, what, what's, what's a biblical worldview of our life? Paul gives it to us in Philippians 1, verse 21. He says, for me to live is Christ as I is. What shall I choose? He goes on and says, I actually de- desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but convinced there's more work for me to do. I'll be around a bit longer. For me to live is win. Christ to die is win-win. And it's very compelling. You see, when we went to preach in places where, you know, people were being killed along the road, well, you know, no one was going that. Well, the NGOs, non-governmental organizations, the army, the, the VIPs, they were all, all flying over those places, but people were dying in those places. So when I went on my motorbike, singing worship songs in my helmet, thinking, what a great way to die in the mountains if this is going to happen. You know, it's like when we got there, it's like, yeah, that's worth listening to because he's, he's just gone along the RN1. What a nut job. But people are dying. Now, how, how tightly are we going to hold on to our lives? Radical living means radical dying, which leads on to, secondly, radical hoping. So Bonhoeffer, you know, he said, when Christ calls a man, woman, he bids them come and die. I, why do you listen to him? Well, because he died for his faith. But beyond that, because as he was led by, away by his Nazi Stasi executioners, he said, for you, this is the end. For me, it is the beginning. This is Packer. He says, for t- today, by and large, Christians no longer live for heaven and therefore no longer understand, let alone practice detachment from the world. Does the world around us seek profit, pleasure, and privilege? Well, so do we. We have no readiness or strength to renounce these objectives, for we have recast Christianity into a mold that stresses happiness above holiness, blessings here above blessings hereafter, health and wealth as God's best gifts, and death, especially an early death, not as thankworthy deliverance from the miseries of a sinful world, but as the supreme disaster. Now, is our Christianity out of shape? Yes, it is, he says. And the basic reason is that we have lost the New New Testament's two-world perspective that views the next life as more important than this one and understands life here as essentially preparation and training for life hereafter. You know, the, the, the hymns in that suffering... In suffering contexts are very different, you know. If, we, if you, you're living in a war zone, I'm not dissing at all the beautiful worship this morning, by the way, but, but um, you know, the songs we're singing, because we think we're going to die, it's like, it's going to be great, it's going to be great to sit next to Jesus, it's going to be great. You know, it's, it's all because we're going to die next week. It's all about heaven, because life is so here. And that, that's what the Negro spirituals, wasn't it? A lot of that, you know, it's a different eschatology. If, you, if you're expecting to die, you know, you're not going to, looking in uh, in any sense just looking upwards 
and, uh, and having that hope. And it's a glorious hope, and I've been very focused on that hope. And, you know, I've been with people that then have already gone, you know. They've moved on, they've been murdered, and their heads blown off. And, and uh, it makes you just live holding things a lot lighter. And it's a beautiful hope, and it's a reassuring hope. C.S. Lewis says, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward, the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Love this picture. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. Radical living means radical dying, which leads radical hoping, which leads to the next one. Radical living, giving. Sorry, radical giving, radical surrendering of ourselves. You know, we're going to go out on the street. Do come, do come. You know, if you've never done it, we're in a group, it's safe. You know, just, can I pray for you? Can I? Wesley, you know, in the 18th century, you know, he was a respectable guy. I, if I could have a one person, maybe the Apostle Paul, but after that it'd be Whitfield. Whitfield, who had this voice that could somehow preach the gospel without a microphone to 30,000 people. And, uh, and he would, I mean, basically, he, he set the standard. You know, these, they're all Anglican vicars, basically. And, but because it was a non-evangelistic, evangelical church, they, they were kicked out. They weren't allowed to preach progressively in any Anglican church. So what was the choice? You know, Whitfield creatively thought out of the box. All right, I'll preach to the market. And I'll preach to the miners just outside, and so he started doing that. But, you know, he got the rotten tomatoes, and he got the abuse, and, and uh, got beaten up, and that sort of thing. And now Wesley was a gentleman, and uh, he was feeling that compulsion, but actually he was resisting it. In fact, other people were resisting on his behalf, and, and when he was pretty much decided that he was going to take that route of scorn and shame and disgrace and offense, uh, one of his mates said he begged him to reconsider. And Wesley replied, when I gave my all to God, I did not withhold my reputation. And he took to the open air saying, I consented to be more vile. I set myself, I set myself on fire and people came to watch me burn. And they did. Let's get out there again. I'm about a year out of date, but I know... Uh, uh, you know, because I've been out of the country, but, but I know that, you know, guys were doing very sort of old school evangelism in Reading, High Street, and around there. Is that still, still happening? Uh, and some great stuff's been going on. But, you know, if, if, if we sow a few seeds, you know, if you sow two seeds, a hundred seeds, you might get two people saved, come to Jesus. But if you, if you sow a thousand seeds, that'll be 20. At 10,000, it's going to be 200. That's what I saw with a mate of mine in London, just evangelism, evangelism and... Uh, sacrificing reputation and uh, you know seeing several hundred come to faith we can do it obedience surrendering ourselves surrendering finances you know the point is a 70 grand salary this is quoting john piper a 70 grand salary doesn't have to be accompanied by a 70 grand lifestyle god is calling us to be conduits of his grace not cul-de-sacs our great danger today is thinking that the conduit should be lined with gold it shouldn't copper will do no matter how grateful we are, gold will not make the world think that our God is good. It will make people think that our God is gold. Think of a, a friend of mine took, you know, took a 60% pay cut to go and train up these Muslims in the inner city in Tower Hamlets, you know, poorest part of England. And, uh, and you know, tough, tough. 
It took seven years before they saw any one of them come to faith. And now, actually, over the years, several dozen have come to faith. And it's been, it became Cameron's top charity, and it's you know, employed loads of those guys that are either Muslim extremism, drugs, and now instead they're in employment. Some of them come to faith. Beautiful. Come on. Costly. 60% pay cut he took. Another man I met, he, he was... He was giving 30% of his income to the Lord. He said, the Lord's blessing, as I'm giving, I'm aiming to give 90% as, as my business gets. You know, let's just think, you know, what do we want to hold on to? Let's, let's go for it. Surrender our finances. Surrender our agenda, our business, our desire for a wife or a husband, our, our friends getting saved. Surrender it. We, you know, seek his face, but trust him for it. Fears about the future. Surrendering our time. You know, some of you gray hairs here, brilliant. You know, do, you know in, in this culture, you people who are old aren't honored as much, but they, they should be. In Africa, we really honor our old people. And you've got so much to give in terms of mentoring and passing on your wisdom to the next generation. Don't feel discarded in, in any sense. And please, you know, we mustn't think of retirement in terms of coasting and self-indulgence to the grave, you know, from 65 where it says, no, God, God wants to use all of us all the way. This is my best man who, my best man, I don't really like him because um, he's so challenging to me. And he loves me too much to let me fall into lukewarmness and apathy. And he wrote this to me, he said, he said, um, he was talking about a sermon he'd just heard on discipleship of the cross. He said, very powerful. Our generation so badly needs to hear it. I really want the opportunity to preach at such and such a gathering and dispel the myth that is so readily received that it doesn't matter what you do as long as you're successful, have fun and have Jesus. What a terrible lie of the evil one. It's making our generation totally inept for the gospel. Well, you're here on a Saturday morning. You don't want to be inept for the gospel, do you? But we can't just fall for the lie that it's okay to be successful, have fun, and have Jesus. That's not the order. What was his order? Luke 9, 23, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. That's a bit different, isn't it? <laughs> radical living means radical dreaming. Radical dreaming. You know, everyone dreams. What, what a book that I wrote called Dangerously Alive. It's a, it's a story, basically, 50 years out there. But um, Dangerously Alive, that comes from a Lawrence of Arabia quote. You know, he said, everyone dreams, but not equally. Those who dream by night in the dusty recesses of their minds wake up in the day to find that it was vanity. But dreamers of the day are dangerous people for they will act out their dreams with open eyes to make it happen. So that's the, invi that's the invitation to become dangerously alive. You know, daydreaming's it's fine, but it's a waste of time, isn't it? But dreamers of the day are dangerous people. We will act out our dreams with open eyes to make it happen. You know, I love Martin Luther King's ridiculous dream. You know, if I'm next to him in 1965, 67, you know, say, "Hey, Martin, just tone it down, buddy." You know, get a dream that maybe black people can sit next to white people on a bus. You know, that that would be pretty amazing, and you know, people will suffer for that. But he's like, "No, the whole system is wrong. It needs to be challenged." And I have a dream. You know, that one day my four little children will live in a country where they will not be judged on the color of their skin, but on the content of their character. I have a dream crazy dream, massive dream. He died for his dream. My dream, to see Burundi transformed to lasting peace through the next generation, rising out, marching to the beat of a different drum, not being into nepotism, ethnic hatred, corruption. Massive dream, just taken 15-year hit in the last two years. Wanting to quit. Struggling to hope. But that's life, isn't it? What's your dream? And if it's, if it's easily achievable, it's not big enough. So just think about it, because we've got a big God. 
And some of us are more wired for the big dream. You know, don't, don't feel, oh, I've got to save whales. You know, um, just, just think, you know, how has the Lord wired me? What are my passion, gifting, skill set? It could be for my, could be for my estate. It could be for my, the mothers, uh, you know, that I meet at the, at the school gate. It could be, you know, whatever, colleagues. Down, what's my dream? And if we had more time, maybe we'd split up now. It's a couple of minutes just bouncing it off each other, but we haven't got that time. But it'd be worth going away with, you know, Lord, you know, what, you know, calling for me is, is a mixture. It's like that Venn diagram, which, is there any uses of Venn diagrams in life? I don't know, but, um, you know, <laughs> do you remember, you've got different circles and you've got that overlap of what you're passionate about and what the God's gifted you in and the opportunity. And I think calling, you know, is that sweet spot of the three. So you might be passionate about worship leading, but you might have the most minging, horrific voice. You know, <laughs> there's no overlap there. That's not going to be you. But, the, you know, just seek the Lord over those three things. And then, you know, Lord, seek his face. And then if, once you feel like you're crystallizing that dream, you're bouncing off the person next to you, someone who cares about you, knows you as well. You trust to speak into your life and say, look, your voice is rubbish. You know, that's not you. And then once we got it, then, then you know, after dreaming, you've got to take a risk, haven't you? So, you know, so I get this dream to transform Burundi, and then, but, you know, I can't just sit on the beautiful answer to the phone call. No, I've got to get out there, get on the plane and go and risk everything, go out with a few hundred dollars and have most of it nick and arrive in Burundi thinking, God, you know, I'm going to fall flat on my face unless you are real. And he has been real. It's been absolutely amazing. But it took taking that risk. Hudson Taylor, great missionary statesman into inland China, he said, unless there's an element of risk in our exploits for God, there's no need for faith. Think about that. Unless there's an element of risk in our exploits for God, there's no need for faith. What he's saying, if you unpack that, is that if you are not, if I am not on any level taking any faith, faith uh, any risks in my faith journey, um, I'm not living my faith. He's not saying I haven't got a faith. He's not saying my name's not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But, you know, if we're not taking any risks for God, then we, we, we don't need him, do we? We're just living by sight. So let's go for it. You know, a ship is safe in the harbor, but it wasn't made for the harbor, was it? And some of you straight away, you'll be honest before God and say, that's me. I'm stuck in the harbor. Breaking myself. Can't possibly leave the harbor. The harbor is church. It's my life group. I feel safe there. It's my comfort zone. And Jesus is saying, no, come on, let's, let's get out there on the seas. And I'm with you in the boat. And it'll be amazing. And, and probably the biggest thing that stops us from embracing that challenge is, the, is, is why I might, I might fail. It's fear of failure. And, uh, you know, Jonas Salk, he invented the, the uh, vaccine for polio. But he tried 200 unsuccessful different experiments before he find that vaccine. And an interviewer once said to him, how, how did it fa feel to fail 200 times? He said, I, I've, I've never failed 200 times in my life. I was taught not to use the word failure. I just discovered 200 ways how not to vaccinate for polio. Attitude, isn't it? Winston Churchill, our most famous old boy, you know, what most prepared him to, uh, equipped him to risk political suicide in those appeasement years in the mid-1930s before leading Britain into a uh, the war against Nazi Germany, he was told, Churchill said what most equipped him was the time he had to repeat a year at school. And the journalist said, what, you, the great Winston Churchill, you failed a year at school? He said, no, I never failed anything in my life. <laughs> I was just given a second opportunity to get it right. Are those two men failures? Sir Edmund Hillary, you know, he made a number of unsuccessful attempts at scaling Everest before he got there. 
And uh, after one event, he stood at the base of the giant mountain. He shook his fist at it and he said, I'll defeat you yet because you're as big as you're going to get, but I'm still growing. And every time he climbed, he failed, but every time he failed, he learned something and he grew and he tried again and he got there. Don't fear failure. Instead of stumbling blocks, God can completely redeem them into stepping stones on our journey with him. Radical living means radical. So we've got the dream, you've got to take risks, and then radical planning. It takes planning, doesn't it? It's not like God's going to just do it all for you. You've got to plan. And, uh, you know, if you think of verses from the Bible on plans, often they, what comes to mind? Plans. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope in the future. Job 42, 42, verse 2. No plans of the Lord can be thwarted. So, you know, they sort of put the emphasis on, on um, God's sovereignty. Um, but, you know, there's, a, there's an active engagement from us. You've got Proverbs 16, Proverbs 19. Many are the plans of a man's heart, but it's the Lord that determines his steps. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. In his heart, a man plans his course. The Lord determines his steps. You know, those all seem to be putting the emphasis on God's overruling, but, but let's not see that as uh, an absolving of our need to plan and be systematic. And, you know, there are, there are good examples in the kingdom of God, aren't there? I mean, I, I could take a number. Let me just take, I think you guys, you guys do Alpha, don't you, most of you? And, and, and I think just think that that is modeled from the mothership in London down, you know, it's just saturated in prayer before it goes out, isn't it? It's excellence in material and it's, it's well planned. It's, it's excellence in Jesus' name. We built a conference center in Burundi. Colossians 3.23 is our, you know, my, our motto for the staff. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart for the Lord. I was working for the Lord, not for men. Excellence in Jesus' name. And, uh, you know, sadly, often Christians are known for doing things, certainly in Burundi, let me speak there, you know, sort of mediocrely. But no. We need to do things with absolute excellence and, and you know, aim for something strategically and, and, you know, home in on the detail because if you aim at everything, you, you hit nothing, don't you? And, uh, you know, this is a, it's one of those quippy quotes, but most people spend more time planning their summer vacation than planning their life. Instead of living by design, we often live by default. Radical planning. Next one, radical sharing. You know, these scriptures are challenging, aren't they? Luke 3. Jesus, you know, verse 11, the man with, no, it's John the Baptist, the man with two tunics to share with, he who has none, the one who has food should do the same, you know. You can't get much more radical sharing, can you, than Jesus himself in, in Hebrews 2, 14, it says that he too shared in their humanity, leaving the cushiness of glory at the right hand of the Father to come and be squirted out in a manger and, and you know, and, 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 and wrong word, don't, don't think too much about it. Um, Let's get back to the New Testament church, you know, Acts 2, Acts 4. They're great verses, aren't they? It's just Acts 4, 32. You know, you could preach on every, almost every word here. All the believers were one in heart, heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possession was his own, but they shared everything they had. You know, what followed? With great dynamis, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord, and much grace was on them all. All. There were no needy people among them. What? Beautiful. That's what they modeled. I love that. There were no, much grace was on them all. And the question out of that would be, was, was God so liberal with his grace because they were so liberal with their lives? And that's where we need to critique our own culture of individualism, isn't it? Because that's not how we were made to live. Certainly not the biblical blueprint of how God basically 
took that message of the risen Jesus and within 300 years the whole Roman Empire had been transformed through little groups going out there through persecution from Acts 8 and just living out the embodiment of kingdom values. It wasn't nuclear families, it was extended families doing life together and uh, modeling that. Beautiful. Radical sharing. Hebrews 8 verse 17 says that we are co-heirs with Christ. Yes! Co-heirs with Christ. What a great thing. But what does it carry on say? Hyphen. If indeed you share in his sufferings in order that you may also share in his glory. I often preach on Philippians 3, 10, 11. I want to know Christ. Amen. I want to know the power of his resurrection. Amen. And I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Amen. Amen. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. And obviously, you know, radical sharing, that means sharing the gospel. For Christ's love compels me. 2 Corinthians 5, 13. He compels me. For I'm convinced that one died for all. And he died for all so that those who live shouldn't live for themselves. But for those around us. Radical living means radical trusting. Last few. You know, one of my memory verses with the kids. We try to you know, store up God's word in their heart. Let's do it, parents, with our kids. Not to impress people, but so they've got it there for when Satan wants to take them out. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. With a bit of your heart, no, with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. This morning, can you trust him for your finances? For your safety? For my kids? That's my biggest one, that's the toughest one. For the future, for my health, for career, for family, for whatever it is. Let's just trust him. I love uh, Oswald Chambers. He's one of my heroes. and He says, future plans are uncertain, but we all know that there is first God's plan to be lived and we can safely leave everything to him, carefully careless of it all. Living our lives carefully careless, just trusting him. Radical living means radical going. Last couple, yeah. Radical going. So for us, you know, how long have I got? Can you give me a five-minute warning or so? Five minutes. So, um, <laughs> radical living means rad- radical, radical going. Um, and, uh, you know, for our guys, we've got some of the most beautiful of that stuff out there. So, each summer. So, if you sign up, you'll get stories of these miracles. Um, because we'll do it again in August. First two weeks of August, we'll send out maybe 800, 900. Uh, two years ago, before the crisis, we sent out 1,010 young people into the bush. Don't know where they're going to sleep. Don't know what they're going to eat. Don't know whether they'll be well received or rejected, just going out in the name of Jesus to do the acts of the apostles. Why not? We're not cessationists, are we? We don't believe that all ceased in the apostolic era. It was just for a time and place back then to launch the church. That's what some theologians think. Surely not. Well, it's certainly an argument through lack of experience, and you can come out and see it if you want, because, you know, these guys go out there, and so the, the glory story of last year was, was, a, was a boy being pronounced dead in hospital, tubes, tubes removed, covered up with a sheet, and um, mother wailing and weeping. And then, and then one of the evangelists, our teams, heard him, rushed in there, just felt the Lord lead him. The Spirit saying, no, no, claim that boy back from death. Came out alive. And 40 people in that prison, giving their, in that hospital. 40 people in response, giving their lives to Christ. One, one lady, you know, she basically told our team to F off. You know, we don't want your Jesus. And some of our mates, even this afternoon, they might do that. Bring it on. You know, so it's, you know, that's, that's people's choice, isn't it? We don't want to offend. But, but uh, so there's like, all right, easy tiger. And they were sort of leaving like that. And then she said, no, all right, come back. Well, I'll, I'll let you preach to us. But first of all, heal that demon-possessed girl. 
Now, some of us here don't even believe in demons. If, if we don't, that's just because we're completely suckers for the worldview that we think is the correct worldview, which is our Western secularist, uh, secular material worldview. You know, uh, I suppose in this culture, a doctor would say that they're mentally ill, and so they try to treat that with therapy and drugs and stuff like that. But that, you know, if it's a demon possession, it's a different deal, isn't it? And so that wouldn't work. Um, but anyway, their worldview is you know, everyone knows about demons out there. So they gather around, the team gather around. So basically, she was, saying, she was saying, just don't talk a good game, show us the power. And they got around that lady and the girl, and they prayed over in Jesus' name, you know, as different demons are identified, cast out in the name of Jesus. And on the spot, that antagonistic lady a few minutes earlier is going, you know, is on her knees with 20 other people giving, giving their lives to Christ. That's our Jesus, isn't it? But you know what? I have got a lot of those stories, but you know, Anesphore, who's the movement leader, who's actually taking over for me, you know, sort of. Um, succession plan is. He's phenomenal. He's way more gifted than me. But, you know, we're in the States preaching together, and, and he, uh, someone said, you know, quick Q&A, hey, why is it that so many miracles happen in Africa? And he sort of gave a, a corrective in that. He said, you know, we don't see miracles the whole time, but when we do see miracles is when we leave the church building. That's a challenge, isn't it? For us, again, because you know, we want people to come into this really weird subculture to engage on our terms. And Jesus, that wasn't his, his methodology, was it? Now you go. Don't go alone. Don't be a lone ranger for Jesus. You'll get taken out. But go. And trust me. And the virtuous circle of that radical going for them is that they come back turbocharged for Jesus. You've seen the power of God. And hopefully the pastor's not insecure. And he says, all right, you know, I'll release you to build a team. And his model of raising the bar. And goes on national radio. And you can't deny stories, can you? Because you can talk to this lady and, and uh, get her story. Beautiful. But Jesus, you know, he commissioned that to us, didn't he? At the end of Matthew's gospel. The great commission. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. And in the uh, RSV, I think it says, go, you know, baptize them, et cetera, et cetera, teach, teach them all I've commanded you, and lo, I will be with you always. And the lo is a weird word, isn't it? But it works for this little point, because he says, go, and lo, I'll be with you always. It, the, the lo of the promise of the accompanying Holy Spirit is contingent on the go. No, lo, without go. Now go, and lo, I'll be with you always. Acts 1 8, you know, you receive power, dynamis, to be my witnesses, martyrs, you know, Greek, we get the word martyr. It's a hint there, isn't it? You receive power to go and be my witnesses, Jerusalem today, even to Cardiff. God bless you guys. You know, the gospel's got this far to Burundi, wherever he's calling each one of us. Last one, radical living means radical praying. Radical praying, underpinning it all. Colossians 4, 2, devote yourselves to prayer. 2 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray continually. 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wickedness, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. You, you guys know these scriptures, but it takes brokenness, it takes willing, our willingness to, to, yeah, just weep and travail in prayer. And some of us have got a specific assignment in that as, as intercessors, but it's for all of us, isn't it? Just pray, and Satan will do everything to get us not to pray, to get distracted. And I'm out of time. Got some more gorgeous stuff to say. Again, I can send it to you in the notes. But uh, listen to this prayer. Why don't you shut your eyes? Well, George Whitfield, I mentioned him earlier, one of my heroes, he says, oh, that I might work for eternity, pray for eternity, preach for eternity. I want only God. So disturb me, Lord, when my dreams come true. Only because I dream too small. Disturb me, Lord, when I arrive safely. 
only because I sailed too close to the shore. Disturb me when the things I have gained cause me to lose my thirst for more of you. Disturb me when I have acquired success only to lose my desire for excellence. Disturb me when I give up too soon and settle too far short of the goals you've set for my life. Why don't you just open the palms of your hands right now? As Augustine said, God gives where he finds empty hands. Maybe you look at your hands and they're empty right now, but you know, God gives where he finds empty hands. Maybe I'm struggling to receive because my hands are me- metaphorically stuffed full in this consumer culture where we're defined in those terms. And often, instead of being salt and light, we are affected. In the other direction, Lord, you see these empty hands. Right now they are empty. Lord, I want to come to you empty-handed as a, as, a, as a sign of vulnerability and openness and surrender and dependence. Naked before you. Lord, I pray that the, 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 the challenge of this morning uh, is received from a place of brokenness and grace. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Lord, as your broken vessel this morning, Lord, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that your power will rest on us. Lord, thank you that there is level ground at the foot of the cross. Thank you that you do love us extraordinarily, that you love us so much that you came down to pick us out of the toilet, to yank us up, to clean us up, to take the on yourself in the process beautiful Jesus so that I can be clean so that I can hear your voice to me this morning you are beautiful so beautiful you are so precious I love you 